Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. A few more sinners than saints. I'm in church. That's good. It's good to be with you. I bring greetings from the good people at Grace Church in Southwest Florida. They're praying for you today. Uh, for my Ghanaian friends, my name is Osofo Kwajo George. My Ghanaian friends understand that. They, they, in Ghana, they call me Osofo Obolobo, which for my non-Ghanaian friends means fat pastor. So it's good to be with you. I'm so honored to be here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, with my good friend Martin. Uh, he has become just a, an amazing friend and colleague, and so honored uh, to share a little bit of our story with the British Methodist Church. Uh, there's uh, some stories in the Bible that leave us scratching our heads. They're, I think, placed there to remind us of the mystery of God. And one of those is the story that many of you know, the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus takes with him his executive team, Peter, James, and John, and they make their way up to the mountain. And there this splendid, magnificent thing happens. Jesus morphs in front of them. Splendid, blazing white. And then to add to that, uh, Moses and Elijah, the two great miracle workers of the Old Testament, appear. Now Peter's response is pretty interesting and I think very human. Peter's response is basically, let's stay here. Let's build a tabernacle, a tent, and let's just worship these three. Now, Peter was caught in what we call in the U.S. the hunker-bunker mentality. Baby, daddy, me, just us three. Let's just enjoy the beauty of this splendid, majestic, mysterious experience, and let's just keep it for ourselves. Contrast that, if you will, with the last words of Jesus. I've been told if you want to understand what somebody thinks is important, look at the last thing they said. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of Jesus, we call them the Gospels. And then when you look at the Gospel of the Holy Spirit through the Acts of the Apostles, Luke's second book, you note that Jesus' last words were the same in all five of those books. That if you were to boil down what Jesus said, his last word was not that we would stay and gather and hunker and bunker, but instead that we would go. I've argued with my congregation that Jesus' favorite word was not love or grace or mercy or unity, but that Jesus' favorite word was the word go. He told us to go. And we saw that in the reading that was just read a few moments ago from the Acts of the Apostle, chapter 1. Jesus is gathered with the 11 remaining disciples and a crowd of about 120. He tells them in his last words, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be, not you should be, you could be, or you might be, you will be my witnesses. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, did those 11 disciples and the 120 crowd that were gathered there did they understand what Jesus meant? Just a few weeks earlier, Jesus had said, Matthew records it. He said that the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. Then the end will come. And yet, here they are, standing before Jesus as he declares to them that they need to go and to be his witnesses. Now, the word picture is powerful in this story. Jesus, he ascends into heaven. And the disciples 
or left there. Now, they weren't wearing pants, I doubt it, with their hands in their pockets, looking to the skies, heaven gazing, if you will. Jesus has just left. I can imagine they're wondering among themselves. I wonder when he's coming back. And yet Jesus had just told them to get busy. Powerful picture, isn't it? Disciples with their hands in their pockets, wondering when Jesus is coming back. Sounds to me a lot like the church today. We sit there with our hands in our pocket. We've been given the good news. We've been given the great mandate, the great commission to go. Wondering, Jesus, when are you going to come back? Here's a question I want you to ponder for your discipleship during this season of Lent. Am I a heaven gazer or am I a kingdom raiser? Am I simply gazing into heaven, wishing and hoping in the midst of a crazy world? Where a gunman goes into a town not far from us and massacres children. We're in a land that I have grown to love, Africa. Some gorillas come and steal away a hundred plus girls. In that kind of world, it's easy for us to stand looking into heaven saying, Jesus, please come back. End the madness. And yet, the mandate of Jesus has not changed. We are not to be heaven gazers. Instead, we are to be kingdom raisers. We are to go and to raise God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So for the few minutes that I have remaining, I want to outline for you what I see in these texts are three distinctions between a, a heaven gazer and a kingdom raiser. And number one, heaven gazers have an earthly perspective while kingdom raisers have a spiritual perspective. So the 12 and the others had seen Jesus do his amazing ministry. They had had a front row seat at his work. Miracles, casting out of demons, walking on water. Jesus taught with authority. He challenged the over-religious. He comforted the left out. And then, just moments before liftoff, as they say in U.S., when we're having one of our rockets go off and there's a problem, Houston, we have a problem. In Acts 1 verse 6, Jesus says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, is the time for you to come to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now Jesus had spent his three years with these disciples trying to teach them that their job was to make the realities of heaven the realities of earth. It fell on deaf ears. Throughout their ministry with Jesus, the disciples kept asking, Jesus, can we have a position on your board when you come into leadership? Can we sit at your right and on your left? Can I remind you that it is easy for us who are followers of Jesus and in the church to get caught up in things that are earthly, property and personnel and programs, all very important. But let me remind you that our priority as the people of God are the purposes of God and people who do not yet know the love and grace of Jesus. 
So I ask you, are you a heaven gazer with an earthly perspective focused on earthly things or a kingdom raiser who's focused on spiritual things? Here's a second insight that I believe that distinguishes between these two. Heaven gazers have human power while kingdom raisers, well, they have spirit power. Now see, all along through Jesus' ministry, he kept pointing to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. There is the character of the Trinity that one theologian has called the shyness of the Trinity. When the Father at Jesus' baptism speaks, he says, don't look at me, this is my beloved Son. Look at him. The Son said of the Father, I don't come to speak my own words, I come to speak and do what my Father has asked me to say and do. When Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit, he said that the Spirit would remind us of the words of Jesus. It's almost this divine deference to the other in the Godhead. Yes, it's a mystery. Jesus had said to his disciples, it is good that I go. I've thought of that statement many times. If I were one of Jesus' 12 disciples and Jesus says, it's good that I go, I'd want to raise my hand and say, Jesus, can we take a vote on this? It's pretty good while you're here. We don't like or often read the rest of Jesus' statement. He says, it's good that I go because if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. You see, what Jesus was trying to teach us, my precious sisters and brothers, is you know what's better than one Jesus here on earth? How about millions, yes, even billions of Christ followers filled with his spirit and his power, declaring the goodness and demonstrating the goodness of God here on earth? So in those famous words in Acts 1-8, Jesus says, but you will receive power. Will you say power with me? Will you say power with me? Power. It says you will receive power. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's the word for dynamite. We will receive Holy Spirit power. Power to speak his name. Power to stand up against bullies. Power to heal the sick. Power to do the works of Jesus. I have some beautiful lamps in my home. Do you know that they're useless until they get plugged in? I wonder how many of us are like big, beautiful lamps that were just not plugged in. I think of a woman in my church. She's a dear friend. Her name is Mary. I buried her first husband who was HIV positive. When she was a single mother, she became friends with a, a young girl in our community named Patty who was selling her body on the streets of Fort Myers so that she could buy crack cocaine. Mary found out that she was in a crack house. Mary weighs about 90 pounds soaking wet. She jumped in her car and drove to the crack house. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, she walked through the front doors and she grabbed Patty and she dragged her out of that crack house. Brought her to our recovery ministry on Friday night where that night Patty heard the good news of Jesus who can redeem and heal and deliver. And that night Patty gave her life 
to Jesus. Today, Patty is a mother, and she works at a rehab center filled with the Holy Spirit of God, now helping other women experience deliverance from their addictions and their afflictions. She is a, she is a Christ follower who is raising the kingdom of God here on earth filled with power. One last distinction. Heaven gazers have undersized plans, while kingdom raisers, well, they have God-sized plans. You see, these first followers of Jesus, they understood that the movement of Jesus, well, at least they thought it was, was for themselves. Or maybe, if they were generous, that the movement of Jesus was just for the Jews. They, they lived with this kind of myopic, small thinking. Jesus had been crystal clear. His ministry to Romans and to Gentiles proved that Jesus' ministry and that the gospel was for the entire world. He had promised them power, but power for what? Well, the end of verse 8 tells us, you will be my witnesses. My martuses is the word in Greek. My martyrs telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, your city, your state, through Judea, your region, your country, in Samaria, those places you'd rather go around than through. You know, we have many of those in our world today and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told us that we would have ever-increasing circles of influence, God-size. I've read these verses in the Greek text. For years, I read it wrongly. I read it that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then when you're done with Jerusalem, then you'll go to Judea. Then Samaria. And then if you've got a little more time, you go to the ends of the earth. But the NIV has it right when it adds the word and. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I've been privileged to travel many places in this globe. And I've seen Coca-Cola everywhere I go. Do you know what the mission statement of Coca-Cola is? Coke within the arm's reach of everybody on the planet. That's the mission of the church. Except it's the cross within arm's reach of everybody on the planet. And yet as we sit in this beautiful Methodist Central Hall, Westminster... About one-third of the planet has said yes to Jesus. About one-third of the planet has said no to Jesus. And about one-third of the planet is asking, who is Jesus? We still have work to do. And we who find ourselves a part of this Wesleyan stream, we have this gift that we have been given. You see, we believe in God's provenient grace. That he goes out in front of us. And invites us to join him. I have a dear friend who has grandchildren. I have four grandchildren. How many of us have grandchildren this morning? Aren't they so much better than children? Aren't they just so much better? I have four beautiful grandchildren. My friend Don was having a, a grandchild. Uh, his son Robert was giving birth to a grandchild that had been named Paxson. P-A-X-S-O-N. He had been born 
uh, with a disease and he had been uh, had a surgery as an infant and was placed in one of those incubator boxes. My friend uh, Don would go to see Paxson and he said, it doesn't satisfy my grandfatherly sensibilities because I have to put on this plastic suit and wear these plastic gloves and stick my hand in an incubator to hold my grandson. I want to hold him up close. He told me these words. He said, George, I've discovered something about my grandson. He's crazy about me. He just doesn't know it yet. Can I suggest to you that there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the city of London, millions in this country, and billions on this planet who are crazy about Jesus. They just don't know it yet. And God is looking for some kingdom raisers to go tell them. Let's pray. And so, Lord, forgive us when we have put our hands in our pocket and we have found ourselves as heaven gazers, wondering and worrying, oh, Jesus, when are you coming back? Help us, oh, God, to be empowered by your spirit to have a spiritual perspective, to have Holy Spirit power and God-sized plans to join you in making the realities of earth the realities of our great God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone agreeing said. Thank you, George. And as we sing this a Charles Wesley hymn, if uh, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, then perhaps you'll come to the front of the church so that by the time we finish this hymn, those who are saying, I need more of the Spirit's power, I need to my life in a different sort of balance between being settled here on earth rather than aspiring to pursue the kingdom of God. If that's you, be by the end of the hymn around the church where we will include you in a, an additional prayer before I say the grace and send us on our way. We sing, give me the faith which can remove and sink the mountain to a plain. Charles Wesley's great hymn of commitment.